Beer is awesome, but sometimes the world of beer can be intimidating. As a team of four women with diverse points of view, from our cultures to our roles in the industry, we're here to share with you the real faces behind the bubbly, crispy drink we all love, and yes, really, all drink. Happy pod day! I like Happy that. Day. Yeah, I think pod day is really good. I, I think that. that one sticks. Uh, I just came back from a very big trip from back home. I came from. I am from Los Angeles, so I went to go back home and visit my family. California love. Two one three was good. Uh, is that the area code? Yes, two one three is an area code. It is yeah. one of the OGs of the area uh, code. It's like the second well, one. I'm two one two. So. Oh, you are two one two. Yeah, that's yeah I got that shit tattooed on my knee. Oh, seven one eight. Seven. Well, that's, not right now. Florida. But. 718 is the Bronx, baby. Yeah. Okay. Bronx and Queens. Well, hey, I am Brooklyn learning. and Queens. And, and I am growing. Okay. Yeah. I've New only York. been here four yeah. years, so I'm trying to figure this stuff out. Okay. I'm 617. Is that your height? It's Boston. Boston. Wait. New- yeah. It's Boston. <laughs> is, the, is the QC much better on the West Coast? Yes. A thousand percent. I, I, yes. I, I will die feeling, on the Like I yes. feel like Colorado maybe might be the same mm. way where it's like these regions that have like more like built-in brewing history than well more contemporary brewing history and like more contemporary breweries that like New York is so like new in a lot of ways you know right thank you for saying that Ayana because I've had to fight grown men over their 40s who are from New York who like lived in New uh, who lived in LA for like two years and like they will say that New York makes better beer than than the west coast of course it's 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 a classic rivalry yeah and i'm like listen alan oh the arguments that i've gotten into with men about who are not in the industry they just they're just enthusiasts who will very much be so adamant and saying that east coast beer tastes better than west coast beer and and this 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 lesser than Ooh, Ooh, plebeian. Ooh. <laughs> this peasant. Peasant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's good. Yeah. This Haysbro, I guess I would say. Is that also another one? Yeah. This dude. He straight up said that the East Coast makes better West Coast IPAs. That's so incredible. Then the West Coast. I feel true. like. And I said, sir, you that are is cut so off. That's not true. It was just... I feel like those are just, like, fighting words for the sake of, like, having a fight, you know? It's like, well, that just, like, logically doesn't make any sense. So now you're just, like... Yeah, now you're just making enemies. Which, I mean, totally happened that night. But for me, it's like I... There are certain beers that I love drinking on the East Coast that I go to every single time because I know the beer is legit. And one of my favorite breweries that I feel like they should sponsor me at this point because of how much I put them on my Instagram is Schilling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Schilling 
so much. It's like, I am so in love with their beer. Mm -hmm. It's just, they're, and also they're great people. They're great humans and I love them so much. So that's what, I mean, that's the beers that drinking. I, yeah, yeah. The, I bought some beers tonight for us to drink. I bought them with my own money, you guys. Like, that is, yeah. she paid for uh, I paid for this. But Schilling is just one of my favorites. And I was going to just start off by saying, this is the beer that I'm drinking, but I really went off on this whole like journey <laughs> that you guys went with me. But I just love breweries who really put in so much focus in their quality of what they make. And I've seen that I love lagers, obviously. Schilling is just my go-to. So that's what I'm drinking right now. What are you guys drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking. I also come back from California. I was in Long Beach. So Ooh. I'm drinking some Long Beach beer. Okay, tell me about it. I'm drinking Hamburger's Ice. My friend has a hamburger pop-up. And, and Ambitious Ales, the fine gentleman of Ambitious Ales, Made him a rice lager for his event, oh. and it's so good. Yeah, and I love ambitious. I Those like the guys label are on that. So nice. I wish friends. I wish I could see this. So label. incredible. They were so nice to me. They were fascinated by how geeked out I was on production. I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm having. Nice and crispy, four percent. Drink extra, extra cold. Ooh. It's very nice. Very good. I What's your friend's pop up? Hamburgers, nice. And this beer is called Hamburger's Ice. Good. You see that? Yeah. yeah. See how that works That's out? good. Yeah, yeah. It was the first brewery that I've ever been to that had a disconnected brew house. So everything, yeah, I talked to Yana about this a while ago, but everything was disconnected. So like mash tun, kettle, whirlpool, everything was disconnected. Like their sparge was hung up on a wall. They had really? to yeah, it was kind of crazy. Interesting. Yeah, was it very a small? very like a uh, very very lego. Like mm. yeah. I need to look into this. Yeah. Mm. It very like home brewers brewery mm. for the most part. Mm. But they told me they're getting hard piping, a whole new brew house with hard piping. Good for them. And I was like, wow, can't wait for that to happen yeah. for you. <laughs> Ambitious. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that was well, good. It's, I mean, it's, it's three home brewers <laughs> that, that oh, yeah. they, they've only been here for like 2 years now. Um, Look at them love go. them. Good people of Long Beach. Love. I love that. I love that we have this um, connection to yeah. California beer. We really need West to go. Coast beer. If we ever take this on the road, we should totally. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. We're <laughs> manifesting it right now. That's yeah. great. Sydney, what are you consuming? Um. Courtesy of Breeze. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking? One, I was going to go I was going to go buy I know. I was going to go buy beer before we recorded. Um I got off early from work and everything and then it was like raining mm. sort of and I was like hmm, it's okay. And that was because I knew that someone else would bring shilling. I was going to bring shilling because I was like, it's a, it's a crowd pleaser. But I was like, no, we're fine. Anyway, I'll bring it next time because at this point I have to pull my weight. But um, yeah, I got Paulus. It's a Munich style Hellas. Is that right? Yes. Or Hells? Yeah. I was thinking about this today and Hellas. I was like, yeah, it's, it's Hellas. That yeah. was actually the last one in the bottle shop. Yeah. Yeah. So really enjoy that. Oh, I have been. Okay. Yeah. Ayana, what are we sipping on? What are we drinking? I'm drinking Amaro and seltzer. Hell um, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I love what that. What Amaro are you having? Oh um, Amaro Averna, which it's fine. I It's not my favorite Amaro, but I like it. It's good with seltzer. 
Um, so- yeah, I don't have any, like, this is, like, so lame. Um, but I only, the only, like, beer that's in my fridge is, like, J.W. Lee's Barley Wine and, like, Old Bottles of Cantillon. And okay. On her way. No, no, I think okay. this is yeah. drop, drop but it's a like, coordinate. I can't, I can't, but I can't drink this right yeah. now. You yeah. Know? yeah. I can't, it's I also, gotta, like, such a, so classic for someone who's, like, been in the beer industry for a really long time where you're, like, I only have this beer that I've had for, like, five years. And it's moved, <laughs> they've moved to, like, so many different apartments with me. Like, yeah. I, oh, I gotta, we, we should have a bottle share or something. Oh yeah. We no, no, no. Where we just share your bottles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm done. And let's just stop there. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Our guest is probably one of my favorite friends ever. She's like part of my circle of friends who knows everything about me, and she is a big one of. She's a very big force in the industry because of all the work that she's put in since day one. Alex Noel, have you guys? heard of her literally obsessed with her yes mm, you two are obsessed <laughs> as we all know <laughs> absolutely so she comes out I try to get her out here as much as possible but I've learned so much from her I felt like this would be fantastic to have her on because again Ayana the amount of years that you've been in this industry like you I know you know your shit as well like I, Andrina, I know you're obsessed with hops I'm obsessed with Alex <laughs> Sydney, you're like, you're learning and you're growing. I'm obsessed which with everything. fantastic. And you just ask us so many questions. And I love that about your growth right now. So yeah, I figured it would be great to have her on. So what do you say? Let's get started. Let's do it. Let's do it. Cue the music. Hi, welcome to Do You Even Drink Beer? Uh, I'm Sydney. I'm Andreina. I'm Breeze. I'm Ayana. And this is Do You Even Drink Beer? I said that first. Damn it. <laughs> it was the first thing. Well, now I'm saying it again. We have our, <laughs> <laughs> our awesome guest this time around, Alex Noel. Do you want to be Alex Noel or do you want to be Alexandra or, or Alexandra? Do you, wanna, do you want the no, R to be rolled? Oh, well, do it because I can't do it. No, Alex is fine. Okay, Alex Noel. Of now, I always like want to get this the right way. So I always like saying that you always say that you are the co co partner or co founder of Three Weavers. Is that correct or founding, incorrect? Founding brewmaster was my title, um, and wow. and before I left, I was also the director of brewing operations. Are you still connected to Three Weavers? Nope, only in ownership not in operations at all and it's crazy it in it won't be two years in october that i left it's wild Damn. Wow. time flies i know <laughs> that's so crazy and then you're also you're also a, let, let me say this um the technical director technical consultant of cls technical advisor technical advisor of cls mm-hmm. cls and then, and yeah. also you consult like a motherfucker with like I do I help people not make massive mistakes when planning out their new breweries I also teach Mm. rookies how to brew beer Mm. that decide that they want to open a brewery after I help them not make mistakes in like the opening of the brewery Uh, and I do some like raw material sourcing and like contracting consulting stuff like that for people that just need 
um, I don't know, some assistance or I hate to say this, it makes me feel really old. Um, like to benefit from my experience in the mm, industry. I love that. Um, it doesn't make you sound old. It makes you oh sound wise. Uh, no, basically I hustle for a living now, which is there we fun. Go. Um, <laughs> it's fun. Your brewery whisperer. Ooh. You know, I like that you a lot come in too. and you know all the things. Mm. Yeah. You guide them. Ooh, what are you drinking? What is mm. that? Uh, wilderness. <laughs> wilderness Trail. It's a bourbon. Um, okay. Bourbon on a <laughs> what Friday. Time, what time is it where you are? I haven't actually, I haven't been drinking um especially during harvest which is really difficult to do but i find that it helps me get up early and do mm -hmm. stuff like exercise mm -hmm. and like meal prep so that i'm not just eating tacos for every meal which there's nothing wrong with that but when you're in yakima for seven weeks mm, and you're surrounded mexican by incredible mexican food um it's hard to not eat tacos for every meal so, um, what about I, tamales? Oh, we have a Yo. James Beard award winning. Yeah, I know that's so good. Yeah, yeah we went. I there, had uh, yeah. I had tamales for dinner two nights ago, and then I also had one yesterday as an afternoon snack. Mm. We had so we're on the farm. So good, <laughs> so good. That's mm -hmm. amazing. James mm -hmm. Beard Award winner oh, yeah. for yeah. tamales. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. maybe like five minute drive from where you would go do hop selection at Yakima. Ooh. Oh yeah, it's a ten minute drive from the farm. Twelve minute drive from the farm. Yeah, it's insane. We were like James Beard. We're going there. What? It's incredible. Is it like tamales verdes and tamales everything, rojos? babe? They make they have pork. Everything. They make. <laughs> chicken they do nopales they do jalapeno and then occasionally they'll do asparagus in season and they do a dulce Ooh. one right like a sweet one i've never had it I, maybe I probably like they... oh it's so good it's like with with raisins and like cinnamon they, it's they... so good I, I feel like like i remember that being an walnuts. option it's good and it, it yeah. changes they rotate there and it's just this little shop they have two locations now but like it's just a little shop you walk in there's like maybe three tables in there um but they just crank out the tamales and they're so so good and you can buy them frozen mm -hmm. right yeah you can buy them frozen. this whole podcast is going to be about the food that you can find <laughs> in Yakima. I, so. I have like i have a lot of follow-up questions and i am not going to ask we'll them. sprinkle them in it's i'll fine. i'll put some in uh in like a container like a container with some dry ice and i'll ship you guys some oh my god amazing. Borfas. Oh, that would be yeah. so much fun <laughs> One, I love you. Two, thank you for doing this. And three, can you just give us this awesome, I know like you've answered this question so many times, but this is for listeners who don't know you and also listeners who are just now starting in the craft beer industry. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started uh, and how that got to where you are now? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's, it's definitely a story. It's a real thing that happened. But so I, I would never set out to be a brewer. That was not a thing. I don't know many people in the US, especially women who are just like, I woke up one day as a child and I said, I'm gonna be a brewer. Because like when I was a child, I either wanted to be a marine biologist or an astronaut. And I like, like went between those two things. I was never like, yeah, and I just really want to like, make you know minimum wage in California and be a brewer for a really long time. Uh, but when I was in college, um, I was like nearing the end of my undergraduate career and I was in need of some elective credit. And so I started flipping through the course catalog. It was a book. I'm not that old, by the way, but it was in book form and I like paper. Um, but 
So I started looking and all of a sudden I come across brewing science as an elective with like a lab portion. So it's like a five credit elective that said, learn how to brew beer and taste beer. And I was like, okay, don't really drink that much beer, but this sounds really interesting to me uh, because it was part of the hospitality school and it was in like an active tangible sort of thing. And it sounded like a lot of fun. I've always loved to cook. So I paralleled the two things and I'm like, I'm going to try it out. And I did. And it turns out I really loved it there. There's so much amazing. Um, there's this cross section between art and science that we are all well aware of in brewing. Uh -huh. And I was just so excited to go to that class all the time to the point where the professor was like, wow, you like really like this. And I'm like, hey, it's so fucking cool. I know I can make alcohol from these base ingredients and like just like getting just geeking out on the ingredient side of it, which is something that is still carried all the way through my career. Uh, but there was one point in time I was the TA in the second semester that I took of this brewing science class. And my professor was like, you know, there's actually a profession behind this. Like, you know, I know you I was going to go to law. I was on my way to law school. Okay? That's crazy. Oh, like, say that. like That's I had gotten crazy. Into law you were saved. <laughs> I got into law school like I went through all of it and I was ready, but I wasn't excited about it. So. I don't know. I like to say that beer saved me in a lot of ways because of that reaction you just had about how I was saved. Um, beer, beer definitely saved me because my professor, his name is Barry Gump, and he he put this in front of me as like a possible career path. And he's like, there are really no women in it. It doesn't pay very well, but you seem to have some passion for it. And I just wanted to throw it out there that like if you need like a letter of recommendation or something or any advice, I'd be happy to be that resource for you. And so I started looking online and Twitter uh, was just kind of getting started at that point in time and a lot of brewers were on it. And so I started interacting with brewers via Twitter, but really I came across um, Terry Ferendorf's blog on when she packed up a little like teardrop trailer and drove across the country and visited breweries. And I was reading her, about her history and, and what she did. And I was like, wow, this is very cool. Um, so I decided to send a letter of recommendation with my resume and a cover letter. My resume, meaning like I was in college, right? I didn't really have a resume. I'd worked at The Gap and I was a telemarketer <laughs> and then like a mortgage broker for a little while. That, none of that stuff was on there. And I sent it in the mail, really nice paper uh, to the majority of the Brewers Association's top 50 breweries at that point in time. And I got a few bites from it, um, one of which was Sierra Nevada. And they had an internship available that um, was a, basically a technical writing internship. Like it was meant to build a training course for their breweries, uh, basically like Sierra Nevada 101 on like why they do the things that they do. And so I had technical writing experience and I just got out of college and I had this like really like base level brewing science knowledge. And so they brought me in and I lived on site. They have a duplex on site that they housed me and they paid me $10 an hour. And that was like right out of college. So I picked up everything. I packed my, my Volkswagen GTI and I drove from Miami where I'm from to Chico, California. And I just started my path that way. My mom was so dumbfounded on why I was making this decision. <laughs> and I promised her that I was like, look, I'll defer my law school acceptance. And if it doesn't work out, I can go to law school next year. It's not a big deal. Uh, I'm thankful that it did work out. Uh, I had a six month internship at Sierra Nevada. And then from there, I got a job at Moylands in the Bay Area in Marin County. Um, wasn't the right fit 
for me, I wanted more production knowledge. So I got a job at Drake's Brewing Company. And I got that job by hanging out at Triple Rock, which is a brew pub in Berkeley where I lived. And I would hang out there all the time. And I'm still really close friends with the then head brewer, Roger Davis. He's one of the owners of Faction uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area now. But I was just sitting at the bar and the director of operations of Drake's walks in and he's like, Roger, we really need to hire a brewer. Do you know anyone um, who'd want to apply for this job? And he just like didn't even look at me. He just pointed at me at the bar. I was sitting next to him drinking a beer. And so I got um, an interview with Drake's. And that's where I like to say I really cut my teeth on production work because it was at Drake's that I learned how to operate a brew house. When I worked at Moylan's, it was strictly in packaging, not even really stellar work. Um, the brewmaster there at the time didn't afford me the opportunities that I felt that I deserved. And I'm not, I know that deserve sounds a little entitled, but I was working in this brewery with a bunch of dudes that just lived in the area and happened to stumble upon a job uh -huh. at this brewery. I was there with a six month internship at Sierra Nevada with some formal brewing education and she still didn't want to teach me anything. So I quit mm -hmm. and I got another job, yep. um, mm -hmm. which was the best thing I could have done because Drake's was growing so fast at that point in time. Like, um, this is like during like, you know, the massive boom of craft beer. And we grew from like not even 4,000 barrels to over 20,000 barrels in the under four years I was there. And so you no learned way. how to hustle. Yeah. It's got me at hustle. Uh huh. Real good. And I think that that's what really built me up as a brewer. So I stuck in California. I stayed in the Bay Area for a little bit longer, moved down to Los Angeles where I took a job at a brew pub that's not open anymore. May it rest in peace, Kinetic Brewing <laughs> Company. But they gave me a position as a head brewer. Um, and then from there, because I learned that I'm not a pub brewer, at least I wasn't a pub brewer at that point in time, um, I was introduced to Lynn Weaver at Three Weavers uh, in the very early planning stages of the brewery. And that's really how I got locked in with Three Weavers at like day zero. Um, and so Lynn and I built that brewery together and I ran three weavers in tandem with her. And then we had also sold to Canarchy. So, uh, which is Oscar blue cigar city, deep Ellum, a large brewing group. Um, we sold to them in 2018. And so she exited then. And then I was kind of running the brewery in tandem with the Canarchy people bought it back in 2021. And I used that as an opportunity to exit from three weavers mostly because one now you know um we have a founder coming back in to kind of carry on the legacy and the culture which was crucially important to me especially after three years of ownership by a large brewing group um it tends to erode away at who you are as a, a brewery because you're kind of mixing everyone's ideals and cultures together and so lynn was coming back into it and uh, my my stepfather is pretty sick so um, I took it as an opportunity to leave the brewery in really good hands and move closer to my family. And that's uh, not where I'm from, but my family lives in Northern Kentucky. So I live in Kentucky. <laughs> I moved to Kentucky a year and a half ago. And I never thought I would say that I live in Kentucky. I actually really love living there. But that's what's afforded me the opportunity to really dive deep into this role with CLS Farms. Um, they own Eldorado as a hop variety, and I was one of the first brewers to really explore Eldorado as a variety. And I did it with Mitch Steele, who was the brewmaster at Stone at that point in time. And we did a collaboration together at Drake's and Mitch fell in love with Eldorado and it became a huge thing in Stone's portfolio. Um, and that just kind of helped me get to know the Demeray family who owns CLS and, um, 
I was able to kind of move from being just a customer to someone with a really sort of pivotal educational role on the farm. And I've been doing that for just over two years. Actually, I did it part-time while I was still at Three Weavers. And then I started with them full-time uh, in an advisory role in February of 2022. And it's been really great because hops were always like my extracurricular on the side of raw ingredients. I've always been pretty obsessed with ingredients. And I've always loved hops, especially being in California as a brewer, where, I mean, we pioneered the IPA. Um, the West Coast did for sure, right? And brewing hop forward beers my entire career, being on the forefront of hop innovation was always just so exciting to me. And so it was very natural um, for me to step into this role where I understand the agricultural side from my really deep, long involvement in the hop industry. And I understand the brewing side as being a professional brewer for almost 14 years now. And so I've been able to bridge the gap between the farm and brewers in a really holistic way, um, in a way that helps the farm understand what brewers need more and in a way that helps brewers understand what's good for the farm is good for the brewer, like that synergy that does exist. And sometimes they don't know how to connect that between the two, because some farmers can be really standoffish, not CLS necessarily. They're really open and transparent. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of how I got to here where I am now. I do other work within the hop industry. Um, I'm a representative for Hop Growers of America, which is the national trade organization of hop growers. And I do um, international seminars spreading the good word of American hops in other countries. And yeah, it's harvest now. So how's I'm harvest? <laughs> Damn. I love that. That's quite... Uh... That's quite my the hero. Wow. <laughs> oh, come on. I just broke that down as fast as I could. There's a lot of details in there, but you can you can at me on that. I'll, I'm happy to talk about it at some point. Uh, Marina, why are you so obsessed with Alex? Like, I don't because why. it's like why aren't you? Yeah, uh, first why of all, I you? am. I still have your T-shirt that you left behind, and I smell it every morning before. Oh my I God, go. I love I think that. She's kidding. Uh <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, after going to Hop Selection last year, and I spoke to Ayana about this, I was like, "Oh my God! Like, I love this. Like, I love, I love um, just like the environment that I was in. I love being exposed to it, and I love when Alex talks about um, when she's smelling hops, how it transfers from farm to glass." And I've heard her say that in many interviews, and that shit just sticks with me because I try to think about hops in that way, but I don't get the experience because I'm in New York, and I just get the glass. I don't oh, get yeah. the mm -hmm. hops to glass yeah. kind of experience. Yeah. Um, and I don't know anyone else like Alex that has been a brewer for so long and now Facts. works at a hop farm. And it's, you know, it's for me, it's, I'm very much like see it to believe it, you know? Yeah. And for yeah. me, she's somebody who I'm like, oh, I like, I could, I could do that if I wanted to. Like, right. I could... I could fulfill my dream of brewing or being in the cellar for X amount of years, and then I can go into hops. Like, I yeah. can go into raw materials. I can do that. Right. Um, and I don't know anyone else like you, Alex, and I think it's incredible. No, and I've, I've heard your episode of Brews with Broads with Hana, and, like, you talk about more in depth on that episode with her. That um, was an awesome. I had such oh. a good time talking with her. Oh, my God. So good. I listened to it one morning during one of my seller shifts. Like, I had a weekend mm -hmm. seller shift, and I was like, I'm going to put on some motivation. And mm -hmm. I put that on, and I was like, damn, like, hearing you talk about your experience at Three Weavers, and then, like, your obsession with hops and breeding, and, oh, like, it just, like, rocks my world. I love it. <laughs> and I love hearing you talk about it, just because you're the only person that talks about it, honestly. 
I don't know like, anybody else very that really, in-depth, like, yeah. talks about it, like, in depth with that. Like, I just feel like I match your passion. Like, I feel like the passion that I see that you mm-hmm. have, I'm like, yeah, I have that in me. Like, I, that shit runs really deep, and I really have that in me, and I just don't. Like, I, mean, I guess I need to be open to more resources to allow myself to yeah. go into those worlds. Because even with sensory, talk to Yana about this. I'm like, how do I get more into it? Like, what do I do? Like, how do I become better at this? And, you know, it's, you just got to do the research and you got to, yeah. you know. A lot of it is self-driven. At least yeah, a lot that's of what she told me. that I did was self-driven. And um, it, it has to be your, your own best marketer right like you know yourself you know how to amp yourself up and just project yourself into the world and and it takes networking i mean i think Mm -hmm. that i've been i know that i've been very fortunate in the networking opportunities that i've had throughout my career um but the first step is just putting yourself out there i don't think i do it as well as i used to because i find like i'm overrun with so many things to kind of do and to try and perfect but um but yeah you just have to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and be willing to be shot down by certain people but know that for everyone that shoots you down there's going to be a few people that won't that will be Uh receptive to what you want what you want to do what you want to say but also Uh, i feel like you don't have to do it as much anymore because of where you are in life i feel like having to like really i feel like in terms of like networking and just going hard into it yes that's very much something that you have to do but even for myself, like where I am, I feel like to get into the industry and to kind of be allowed in these spaces, I felt like I had to go out almost every night after work to be in these breweries and like create these these relationships with brewers back then in LA, where right now it's like, I don't have to do that anymore after work and like have to go to all these beer events on a nightly basis where it's like, I can pick and choose now and kind of be more selective in a sense where I'm not burning myself out because sometimes networking does connect a lot with burnout and I I I can't I can't be at that capacity anymore and so to be able to do it like in little spurts is mm-hmm. helpful and I feel like because that's where I am now that's where I put myself so with you it's you very much you know how to network like I've seen you do it you are you do it so smoothly it's like it's just, it's like butter, baby. And it's so great <laughs> watching you do that. But I feel like you don't have to do it to that extreme anymore because of no. where you are. It's because your sphere gets bigger, right? Like your world increases. The size of your sort of planet of your career increases. And so, you know, I remember the days of having to go out constantly, especially with like launching a brewery like Three Weavers where you're just yeah. constantly hustling. But that's like, you know, your local realm and then you can grow past that and then it becomes like a regional realm and then it can become a national sort of thing and then international. And with that, yeah, the the interactions become way more sporadic, but um, they're still necessary and impactful. And um, our memories are so short and fleeting that you have to, I think, especially as women in the industry, we have to continue to remind people that we exist and that we're here in like a meaningful way. Yeah in a way that's productive for the industry but i feel like that i feel like you very much again you do it so well and i know i say this all the time but like i really i really do it's almost like i study you and how i'm not i swear i'm not fluffing you up on this one Um, but (laughs) it's almost it's almost like i study you when you're out there and whenever we go out together and we go we're in the same spaces together I I study how you hold yourself and how you act. And there is this, you're not only using your intelligence, but you're using 
this confidence that you have along with your humor, it's like a formula that you kind of created within your own self that you're not even aware of how you are when you're out there. Or maybe you are, but I, I kind of, I pick and I kind of pick that apart a little bit. Like, well, I can't do that, but I can do this. I should probably try this. Like, okay, well, I see how she's doing this. Okay, I'm going to try to put that in my back pocket and then utilize that for the next one and how I approach that person. And I'll, I'll take that with me and then I'll, I'll use it on the next social outing that I go to. And it, and it, it benefits the way that I interact with people. So it's, I really love the way that you put yourself out there because, again, you do get knocked down. Sometimes you do get the no's. And it's... And the ones that do say yes or just invite you to the spaces or include you in, in certain uh, conferences, I think it's fantastic. The most recent conference that you went, that you've been to, that you've had to do a talk, what what was it? What did it entail in terms of like the hop industry? Um. Well, okay. So CBC, but that was a sponsored thing for CLS Farms, which we do sponsor. Although we're starting to do a lot of data collection around our anecdotal um, sort of harvest techniques, which are work for us, like very art-based. We're starting to put science behind it. And so we're actually going to pitch that as an actual talk for next year. Um, so that was the last thing. But the last one I was invited to um, was the Hoppy Symposium, which is um, held by Garage Project in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I went and did a talk on um, American uh, terroir and the American hop world um which i kind of shat on a little bit (laughs) (laughs) tell me more why yeah uh well because terroir is something that is so important in grapes right because it's fruit and you only really have one with the hops you have one shot to make it right too but the fruit and with wine it's just the fruit that's it right with beer we have so many different ingredients involved and when it comes to the major growing regions of hops like the terroir can I don't know the the soil can vary a little bit, the climate can vary a little bit, but I think the most impactful thing um, when it comes to the the like the ultimate quality of like a finished hop is like cultural farming practices. So like it's how the farm treats the crop, it's how they dry them, it's how they bale them, it's how they process them, and the soil can't fix bad farming techniques, right? Just because you're farming on the best soil there possibly is, I mean, Yakima has such fertile ground, um, but if you're not using cover crops and you're just raping the soil and you're putting a ton of fertilizer into it and you're being reactive and dumping a bunch of pesticides on your crop, you know, instead of being proactive and trying to stop these things before they start, um, with clean and, and healthy farming practices, like you're not going to get a great hop no matter how good the soil is. So I spent that talk um, going over the three major growing regions in the U.S., the similarities and the differences between the soil and the climate and things like that, um, and then how things differ from farm to farm, right, um, in terms of their, their just their practices as farmers. Most of the farms here in the U.S. at least in these regions are multi-generational family farms. And so there's like lore handed down from generation to generation that's now being backed up with more science uh, as there's a ton of research done on hops these days. But still, you have a lot of farms that practice things the way that they do because that's how their great grandparents did it. Um, we look, If you want to look at CLS specifically, uh, I mentioned like our harvest techniques are pretty unique for 
the hop for at least the major hop growing regions. We're not a small farm. Um, we're not a huge farm, but between two locations, we farm 23 acres of hops. So it's not a very oh, wow. it's a tiny operation. Like it's pretty sizable. Um, but we are picking our hops based off of field sensory. So we're going into the field and we're picking the hop and we're rubbing it and we're determining whether or not it meets our aroma like standard on it. Because when it comes down to it, the majority of the hops that we're growing are aroma varieties and they're going into dry hops and beers. And so when it comes, you're looking for, we grow a lot of Centennial. I learned today that we're the largest comet grower in the world, which is not huge, just comet's not a very popular hop. And I think we farm like 50 acres of it total. But anyway, um, for a hop like Centennial, where we have so much of it and we have these really large breweries relying on us for good amounts of their supply, um, we go into the field and we rub it and you know, that's how we determine whether or not the field is ready to be picked. And we think about each individual brewer that we sell to direct and the dealers that we sell to and what they're looking for in their beers. And so just because one brewery wants one type of Centennial doesn't mean the other brewery is going to want the same one. And we have to be mindful of those things. And we don't determine that through dry matters or um, anything other than really just going in, pulling hops off the vines, rubbing them, smelling them and saying, okay, this seems like it's ready to go. We can put this on to pick today or tomorrow or like this other field that could be three miles away and we're going to let that hang for another week because we know that another brewery will want that specific cut of centennial so how does it's it very change based. Mm -hmm. how does it change as it gets older on the vine centennial so yeah. centennial specifically is one of the hops we grow that has a pretty wide picking window i would say that we harvest centennial for anywhere from like 10 to 12 days from when we start to when we're done with it. And in the early cuts of Centennial, which is what I think most people think of as classic Centennial, it's like sweet orange and like lemon, a little bit of grassiness, right? That comes in. But then as you let it hang, that citrus starts to go away and you start to get this like rose character in there. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes very floral with like citrus back to it. But then as you let that same hop continue to hang a little bit longer, we start to pull out um, red fruits and like cherry, like dark sweet cherry character Ooh, out of it, or like a wow. cherry candy. And that's what the later picks tend to be. And we have some breweries that just really love these later picks of Centennial. Now it does go over the cliff and then it smells like onion and garlic. So we try and avoid that. There is such a thing as letting it go too far. Um, but Centennial is one of those hops that has a lot of aromatic variability in its picking window. And also one of the hops that we're focusing on um, in these sort of analytical uh, surveys that we're doing, um, we have Centennial Citric Cascade and Eldorado being run by Hoptechnic, which is a lab based here in Yakima. And they're capable of running full terpene and thiol sort of like um, panels on everything so that we can see what's going on in the hop aromatically from the terpene and thiol content. And um, we're taking samples over the course of pre-harvest and then during harvest, just to see where these things tend to peak and because they'll peak and then they'll start to go back down. Um, and just benchmarking things based off of data. So far, the data that we've received uh, on Centennial has matched what we are actually finding as we go into the fields. The problem with relying on only data is that these tests take two to three days to complete. And so we can mm. bring a sample in, but we won't find out until three days later. But if we go out there and utilize our sensory basis of determining maturity, we know right away. 
you go out there, you smell the hop. Is it ready? Is it not? Right. Yeah. But I guess we're looking to validate the anecdotal sort of processes that we've been doing for so long to put the science behind the art, even though the art's been working out for a really long time, but people are obsessed with data. I'm one of those people too. Um, so it's been really cool to see the data back up the art. For someone who is just getting into, uh, into beer and wanting to know more about the hop process, can you, can you break down like the, like what you mean by thiols? Like what, what is that? In yeah. The hop? So hops, um, hop aroma is made up of a lot of different compounds. Um, there's actually over 400 compounds that have been identified within a hop in varying degrees. When I talk about terpenes, terpenes make up the bulk of the aromatic profile of a hop in terms of percentage, but not necessarily impact. So the things like um, myrcene and pinene, so any like resinous, pine, orange, and things like that, those sort of things are like base terpenes. Um, thiols is something, it's a, a sulfur compound that's only really been brought up in hops in the last decade or so, but it's become a very focal point and like a buzzword in, in smaller breweries in the past, maybe four or five years. Um, thiols can make up a fraction of a percent of a hops aromatic composition, but they tend to be the most impactful. So you're talking uh, anything tropical like passion fruit or guava, um, any of the catty characters. So you'll, you know, cat pee, right? Black mm -hmm. currant, um, which is kind of common in hops like Simcoe. Those sorts of things are created by um, sulfur compounds called thiols. And we found that even in their small percentages, they're far more impactful to an aroma than the massive amounts of terpenes that exist within the hop. And only recently were we able to get hops analyzed in the U.S. for thiols. Um, previously, we were sending, we meaning as an industry of people wanting to get hops analyzed for thiols, like hops like Mosaic, Citra, Simcoe are very high in thiols. Galaxy, Nelson Sauvin, these really bright, punchy hops. And they're punchy because of the thiol content. So before we were sending them to France, uh, because there's a lot of work in wine done behind thiols. Mm. And now you can actually get stuff analyzed in, in the U.S. So it's easy. It's more readily available to us. We can drive our samples to Hoptechnic for analysis versus sending them to France and like waiting like three or four weeks for analysis. So anyway, that's what thiol is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like that's really breaking it down for the person wanting to know more. Yeah, I have another question of... Someone wanting to know more. Ask away, okay. my dear. Um, I'm curious, while we have you, if you could talk a little bit more about the, like, I suppose my question is, what is a hop? Because I know what it is in terms of, like, it's in the hemp family, and it grows, it looks like a little pine cone, and it grows on vines. And I'm curious, like, how they become little pellets. I'm curious about like yeah. the processing and like lupulin and like cryo, like all the Incognito. ways. Incognito. Yeah. Whatever that means. But like, yeah, like getting from the product that we know grows on a farm that is like beautiful and fresh. And then the product that ends up in the hop cooler at the brewery and then how that translates to the glass there's like a huge swath like there aren't a lot of breweries that just steep their beer no. in hops not anymore there's only really a handful that are utilizing whole hops still 
um, and to a large degree. Fresh hops or like wet hop, like wet hop yeah. beer, like right. Because the first place I worked, we did that because we had a hop farm. Oh, got it. That okay. we got. Yeah. Like, it was a yeah. It was like a really small brewery, and we were just like taking our hops and putting them in like basically like a tea bag and just putting them in yeah. the mash. And so when I saw hop pellets, I was like, what are these? Oh, interesting. Um, so they're, yeah. Well, like the, right? the whole hop is, so once we are done drying um, and cooling the hops down on a cooling room floor, they're failed with a ton of pressure, which gets them in a position where they're able to be moved into cold storage and then from cold storage like i said you know some people are still using whole hops not a ton of people i find them pretty romantic but they're also very unstable mm-hmm. um, and so for the most of the time for storage purposes like longevity of storage hops are typically processed into t90 pellets they're processed into the pellets that you know really well and because that one it just it makes them easier to handle you can pack them into a much smaller package for the volume and as a part of the pelletizing process you're helping to scrub out some of the oxygen that exists inside the plant so oh, yes. you're kind of slowing down oxidation of the plant uh-huh. and um so they do that through loading these bales into hammer mills where they're ground down really fine because you know when you like you know you rub a hot pellet apart it's just really fine particles of the plant uh, and then it's extruded through dyes. So it's like pushed through and it's spun out through these dyes into these little pellets. Um, and then put into bags that are typically flushed with nitrogen to remove any oxygen from it and then sealed Whoa, and kept cool. cool. Oh, yeah. I went to a cryo plant last year and I was yeah, like, you, what is yeah. this? And like, so what with, are y'all with the, doing? With the cryo plant, they're utilizing freezing to Maybe. remove the lupulin. So like they're they're just removing most of the plant matter and it's really interesting because it's a concentrated pellet i think that there's definitely a place for cryo um you're removing all of the green matter which removes any of the polyphenols which are pretty key for mouthfeel in a beer so i never recommend someone swap out all of their standard pellets for cryo but it does allow you to get a really concentrated aroma from the hop and there's certain compounds that i think exist in the plant matter that you're removing and so We've had, um, when we, when I was selecting for Canarchy uh, and we had a huge Simcoe contract, we would actually take the bottom of our Simcoe selections and convert them into cryo. They might've had some onion and garlic or anything like that in there, but we found that through the processing of it into the cryo pellet, it removed any of that sort of negative aroma oh, that's from cool. the hop and just left us this really awesome concentrated aroma. Uh, but then like incognito, I'm actually not sure how they make it. Haas keeps that pretty close to their chest. Um, cause that is a pro that's like a hot side addition, um, yeah. concentrated yeah. hot side aroma addition from Haas. Uh, Lupamax is a T45 pellet. So T45, meaning there's less plant matter than a T90 pellet, um, which is somewhere in between a T9, like a regular pellet and cryo. And there's all Ooh. sorts of extracts. What are like the, what are the benefits of T45 as opposed to T90? You said like less plant uh, matter, but does that mean like less oxygen or like what, like the way that it's packaged, the way that it's like compressed onto a pellet? You can tend to use less hops. Uh, I think originally it was just used by larger breweries that mm. wanted to use less weight in it. You know, when you, when mm. you're introducing more plant matter into your beer, you're also looking at increased yield loss because right, beer right. can absorb into the additional plant matter, right? And so when you're removing that, you're increasing 
your yield potential Mm -hmm. and in larger breweries, I mean, 2% a year in a massive brewery is a huge amount of beer. Mm -hmm. And so you see these like fractional increases in yields from using these products and that's how they were originally supposed to be used. And now we just see it as a, we're still using like pound for pound cryo to T90. And if anything, we're just bumping up the intensity of the flavor and the aroma. God, that's so awesome. Does it ever feel like I'm curious as a hop farmer, candidly, how you feel about things like the concentrate, if that feels like it somehow takes away the character or if that's like a really good way to use the hops and like keep them shelf stable, like what your opinion is on using tools like that? I think it's awesome because one, it diversifies a brewer's opportunity for utilizing hops in different products. Mm. Two, it allows us to come to this sort of mutual understanding of each other's needs. Like just because a brewery wants to use an extract, who am I to tell them that that's the wrong thing to do, right? Mm. If anything, I think we should be understanding and champion people's freedom to choose whatever products they want to use in their beer. I start to have an issue when you see unnatural like artificial additives starting to go into beers. But if you're just manipulating the base product of the hop into ways that work well for some, I don't see any sort of issue with stuff like that. From the business perspective, it helps sell more hops. I mean, I don't own the farm, right? But I certainly benefit from the hop farm doing well and succeeding. But yeah, I think that, you know, everyone has different limitations on their systems and their abilities. And I think that everyone should have access to whatever they want. Cool. Yeah. I can't argue with that. (laughs) I have a breeding question. Okay. Craziest like breeding that you've seen or like the craziest aromas or smells, taste that you've seen from like a breeded hog. And again, can you break down breeding for those who are- I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah, so hop breeding is when you take (laughs) a male and a female and you put them together and they they make make a baby. Yeah, when they fall in love. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know it's forced breeding, which is unfortunate. Um, But like, what's like the crummiest- (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Um, Yeah, so it's basically just creating new products by utilizing two existing and not even sometimes it's not even guided a lot of times now you'll see open pollination where you'll just see crosses happen in a yard by by introducing male plants i learned that at ych last year yc ycr ycr yeah ycr um right so this is maybe not necessary to ask anymore but so it's by the like oh god what is it called? Like the pollen stamen mm-hmm. situation, yep. not like grafting. Like you're not doing. Like- uh, it's both. Breeding it's both, is yeah. done in labs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there are some farms, well, some breeding programs that are utilizing CRISPR to genetically Ooh. alter things. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's really Some cool. of the more advanced ones. And what's cool about utilizing CRISPR is they're able to advance um, the breeding to a point where they are able to commercialize these hops in a lot less time. So your typical time from like first cross made to commercialization, and that's if it even makes it that far, is about 10 to 13 years. And yeah. when you're able to genetically mark things, it can reduce the time to more to like five to seven, which is pretty significant. And uh, yeah, but a lot of really interesting hops are found through open pollination. Um, obviously, in the early days of, of 
hop breeding where a lot of native North American germplasm was brought back to the UK. Uh, and then a lot of these English hop varieties, which we know are a lot of the basis for our modern American varieties. Um, a lot of that stuff was done in an open field. So uh, some of the more interesting hops that I've seen were bred intentionally um, in a lab or on a farm um, was, it's still four, called 472, which was the barrel aged hop that never really got what? commercialized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, it expresses like oak, yeah, vanilla and and Sabro is actually the daughter of that hop. And Sabro is the first really? time we've seen coconut expressed naturally yeah. through a hop. And yeah. I was fascinated by that. I know coconut is a very polarizing flavor. Uh -huh. I love it. Good, um, yeah. My head brewer at Three Weavers hated it. So we barely used coconut in our beer. Never but um, I thought it was really cool that they got coconut and woodiness out of... Um, out of Sabro from 472. And I think that's because they utilize Neo-Mexicanus breeding stock. So uh, Native American hop species utilized in breeding out with um, whatever that they, they're typically, it's a closed program too. So a lot of times they're very tight-lipped on what they're utilizing to breed these hops. Um, so I think that was really exciting. And from there you got Talus as well. I think they've departed from the Neo-Mexicanus breeding lines there, which is fine. They can be a little polarizing, like I said, with coconut. Um, but I've also had a really, a lot of really interesting, like found hop varieties where a grower mm -hmm. will just kind of find something growing in a ditch somewhere on their farm. Um, Idaho gem is one of those varieties. Really? Mm -hmm. oh, wow. And so they find them, they get them genotype to make sure that they're genetically unique and then see if they can grow and find out the agronomics behind them. But I think that that's just nature doing its thing. That's cool. I love that. Can I say something about a hop that I'm yeah. just not really a fan of? And I don't, I just, I'm not a fan of it. Ooh, I hot think, take incoming. I, I don't know. It is a hot take. Um, I, I don't know if it's like 586 five, or 1019. I think it's 586, but it has like this wood chip, like this, almost like this smoky, wood chip like cedar kind of smell and i th i think it's 586 i should have said talus 692 no it was definitely yeah. it, 586 yeah it was definitely 586 um for sure now yeah. i can't stand that i mean like i feel like um like the cedar or like that smokiness or just like a wood chip smell should yeah. not belong in hops i just I, I get the coconut sometimes like the coconut for me comes off a little bit oily yeah. Uh, in a in aroma and even in the taste itself, I don't know. Is this more from like memory and like what coconut oil tastes like to me? Which again, fine. But it's just the smokiness that I cannot stand. And if you balance it, if you if you really know how to dry hop um, with it and 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 kind of sprinkle it in, it could it could be amazing. But if you just use that hop alone or tend to dry hop it, like use it more as an amount as opposed to the other ones that you're blending it with. For really me, it's just, oh my God, it's so is it, overwhelming. Is it just sensory smoky or is it literally smoky? Like, do you ever dry things with like wood fire? Oh, no. Um, smoke taint is a thing in hops, uh, especially when there are fires in Yakima. And we've seen that in certain varieties. It's possible oh, yeah. you have a smoky 586, but woodiness yeah. is definitely an aromatic marker of that variety. And some people are really sensitive to it. And I think I've heard that people either love or hate 586. 
Um, I believe it's getting named actually, but you're right. There are certain hops that aren't meant to be standalones. Instead, they're supposed to be complementary to other varieties and it can be super overbearing right. when used on its own. Who gets but you're to right. name hops? What? Who gets to name hops? That one, uh, since it's an HBC hop, which is, means hop breeding company, that's a joint venture between Yakima Chief Ranches and John I. Haas. They name it. I don't know what they're going to name it. I was actually, before I came here to talk to you guys, I was having a conversation about 586 on the farm right before. <laughs> I love that. I will die on this hill. Wait, okay, okay. So if one farm or hop distributor creates a varietal and then names it and patents it and it's theirs, can other farms now grow that? That must, they must, right? Because otherwise it'd be... Yeah, they can, but it's managed privately through them. And then they pay royalties to the breeder. And then a lot of times the breeder can dictate when the hop is able to be picked and who you okay. can sell it to. What are yeah. some examples of that? Like what hops? Simcoe, Mosaic, Citra, mm. Talus, Sabro, Pato, Eldorado. Eldorado. <laughs> oh, hey, Ayana. Hi, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, a lot of proprietary. So proprietary are these patented, Amarillo is another one. Um, these are patented privately held varieties versus public varieties like Cascade, Chinook, Cashmere, and Vista are two, you know, the more aromatic, exciting ones, I think. Um, but they're developed in the public sphere versus. No, I'm not liking yeah. cashmere either. I feel like cashmere is really oh, kind God. of turned around. I remember you. you I remember oh, like cashmere back in the is day. Really turned around. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Cashmere, yeah. it's been kind of all over the place. But yeah. I don't know. Thank when we honest. first got cashmere, it was like our first crop of cashmere was amazing. I think this was like 2018, mm -hmm. 2019. I guess it would have been. What year was it? I think it was crop year 2018. So we would have been using it in 2019, and it was like. We actually got a lot of coconut, just like so much tropical fruit. It was so good. And then the next year it was like, oh my God, this hop is like terrible. <laughs> really hard hop to grow. Mm -hmm. And it's got, and so that's another, I'm on cashmere watch right now. I think we're probably going to pick up. Cashmere watch. I love that. <laughs> well, so I, I refer to it as the avocado of the hop world because mm. it's ready at a certain point in time. And then when you go and pick it, it's already done. It's already over. Uh, oh my God. Um, today I was out in, the, in a cashmere field with, our production manager Reed, and he said it's like the price is right hop. It's you got to get the closest without going over on it um, because it's so delicate. It's hard to grow, first of all. It's hard to pick. When you do it right, it's incredible, and it smells like strawberry and stone fruit and this like cream sort of finish to it. Oh I love the variety, but then when it goes over, it smells like a baby diaper, and it is Ugh. terrible. So it's got yeah, the girl. narrowest picking window, I think, of any hop where I was talking about Centennial, which we can gracefully pick for like 10 to 12 days. Cashmere, you're lucky if you get 72 hours. Jesus wow. Christ. Wow. You were on. So yeah, you, you're on. Do you think, you're on do you think that that means that like for a hop like Cashmere that has such a narrow picking window, I mean, I guess it probably won't be grown in any large quantity, right? Like for it them. is. It's grown in large quantities, but it doesn't okay. mean it's the right time. Mm, yeah okay um so i think some growers struggle with it they don't they don't necessarily know what it's supposed to smell like right mm -hmm. right? right they're not they're not interacting with brewers in a way where the brewers like this is what we're looking for so we have a very large contract from a pretty large brewer that's new and this is their first year 
getting cashmere from us. And I texted him today and I'm like, what do you look for in cashmere? Because we don't want to fuck this up. And what does he look for in cashmere? Strawberry? No, he did. He said no baby diaper actually. And there, uh, no baby diaper. Strawberry jam. Um, what did he say? Orange marmalade, which I don't necessarily get in that variety. And, um, he says ripe peach. I get lime zest in it as well, um, but mm -hmm. I understand the strawberry jam and the stone fruit. And so I was like, cool, we're aligned. We're watching it. We'll probably pick it uh, in the next two or three days, actually. Really? Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That anecdote segues perfectly into my next question, which is hop selection with breweries. What does that entail? Like, I don't know. I suppose like in a fiscal year, like start to finish your contract and then what happens when you're in contact with the breweries, like what you were just describing. And then if they come visit the farm, what you guys are doing, kind of like what is hop selection? It depends on who you're buying from, right? Not all dealers are the same. Not all farms offer direct selection like we do. Um, but you know, we do only have maybe, I think we only sell direct to just under 30 breweries. So it's not that many. Mm. And the rest of our stuff goes to brokers like Haas and Yakima Chief and BSG and Crosby. We sell to everyone really because we're independent, fully independent. But it comes down to communicating with the brewer. They have a good idea of when these, these hops will be harvested. They communicate with us on when they'll be in town. We set up a time for them to come to the farm. Um, some breweries, like what I used to do is I would come up three or four times to hit the different windows for, for hops, mm. just to ensure that I was getting like the prime pick of each variety and, um, they'll come on the farm and we like to have some sort of initial conversation with them about what they're looking for in that variety. So we know what lots to place in front of them. Cause like we'll grow hundreds of thousands of pounds of certain varieties. And that's a lot of different lots from a lot of different places. And instead of randomly putting things in front of a brewer, I want to have a, we, like, we want to have a good idea of what they're already looking for. So we can tailor their selection down to like five or six different cuts for them to see. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, that's really what selection entails. And, you know, with the dealers, there's definitely um, a, ma a minimum that you need to hit before they'll allow you to start selecting uh, an efficient pellet run starts at about 4,400 pounds, usually about 5,500 pounds too. So um, a lot of times they'll want to see you break that threshold before they even allow you to come in and do lot selection. I know some of them are doing group lot selection now, which is cool because you can like pull a few, you know, several breweries contracts together and get more buying power and just agree on a selection with multiple breweries. Um, but I don't think that's as common as I would like to see it. It just can create a logistical headache for some dealers, but selection is exactly what it, it says it is. You come and you select your hops. And, um, I mean, just because you don't select doesn't mean you're going to get like whatever's left over. I think that's a common misconception. Um, I think that there's such varying taste in hops anyway, that the chances are there's going to be something good for you. But for me, I'm an, enough of a control freak in the brew house that I want to at least have an idea of what's available for me to use in mm -hmm. my beer. I'm not, I'm past the point of someone saying, 
here's our mosaic. This is your mosaic. And I'm like, no, I want to smell it. I want to have options. I want to make sure that this mosaic can match the profile that I envision in my beer. Because when it comes down to it, I know it's an agricultural product, but I'm making beer under my name. Um, and so I think that it's great. Selections become way more commonplace now than it ever has been before for brewers to have access to the idea of picking what they want. But I still think a lot of brewers don't understand like what that is and what it entails and how to even get access to it. Well, I have to ask what, what hop isn't your favorite? I wasn't asked. What hop isn't my favorite? (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Let's I'm not, I mean, it. I like Citra, but I'm not a huge Citra fan because I think it dies really unceremoniously in beer. Like, it doesn't hold on for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I mean, it's really hard to say what is not. Like, when you spend your days, like, like literally frolicking through hop fields, like, they're all, all hops are great hops. It's like all dogs are good dogs. True. <laughs> oh, they're great babies. Yeah. yeah, they are. All dogs are good dogs, Brent. Secret all dogs angels. are good dogs. And, yeah. like... But yeah, I think that about hops too. Some of them are harder to grow than others. Some of them are way more temperamental. Um, some of them are just like, just the good boys and girls that never do any wrong. They never they shit on your carpet. Shoes. Mm-hmm. They, are like uh, they don't chew your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we hate yeah I love them all. It's great too, because like I get to see them all kind of cycle through the farm. Yeah. Um, during the beginning of harvest, it's like Groundhog Day, and it's like, what are you picking today? And it's Centennial for like ten days straight. But now we're getting to the point where we're moving around a lot of different things, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's it's just cool. I love them all. I love oh. them all. I'll tell you which one I hate, but that's just me being a hater. I hate this throwing shade. I hate Waidi. Ooh. No, no, no. Hmm? Rawaka. Rawaka. I hate. You know. That's Why? Be okay because I feel like Rowaka. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I feel like Rowaka just steals the show. Like Rowaka, like has to be the center of attention. Okay. So regardless of like the amount of Rowaka that you put into a beer in a blend, it's always like there's definitely Rowaka in this. But yet it doesn't allow all the other hops to shine. And then Rowaka has an amazing shelf life uh, with with Northeast IPs, which I think is fantastic. But it's like, it'll be like week, I don't know, like week eight. And it's like, ugh, here we go. We're Waka again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it just, it do, I feel like it doesn't allow, I mean, it just definitely trumps every other hop that's in there that's supposed to also be part of it. So it's it's not like, okay. oh, this beer is called Holding Hands and it's Rowaka, blah, blah, blah. Instead, it's like all Rowaka all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that's... That's one of those thiol-rich hops, and they just bully everything out. The impact of them is just too great. And I think Ruwaka has been a problematic hop for a long time because it doesn't really yield very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of people growing it now. Um, so I'm with you on that. I think it's too much. You're the first person. I think about Nelson a lot, too. Nelson? Yeah. I like I like Nelson, I like Nelson. A lot. I used Nelson yeah. today, and I was like, damn, this shit smells good. Yeah. It does, but it can also smell really, really yeah. bad. It's... Kind of you know what I don't like? Me. Ayana's gonna agree with me on this one. I don't like Galaxy. Yeah, no. I well, don't I, th- <laughs> um, Alex's Galaxy. I feel like what you were just talking about with New Zealand hops and Galaxy in Australia. Uh, didn't that have like a kind of similar trajectory? Like, you know, when Galaxy first came on the scene, I don't know how many years ago that was, everyone was like so excited by it, and then the quality has just kind of been like all over the place to the point where I feel like. Almost nobody uses it. Well, 
maybe not almost nobody uses it anymore, but like it's, it's changed or it's inconsistent. Well, so they expanded out the variety really far. And then as plants start to age, their character can change, right? So Mm -hmm. a hop is going to present itself very differently in the first and second years on, you know, as a plant in the world than it is in like the, um, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, whatever. Um, yeah, so it could be that it's maybe no, it's not more people growing it. It's it's hot products of Australia, but when you're growing so much of it, you can't pick it all. Maybe at the ideal time, mm-hmm. and it did. It was on Nelson was on a similar trajectory to Galaxy, but Galaxy Galaxy totally overtook it because they had the ability to scale in a way with that variety that the the kiwi hop growers couldn't with Nelson Sauvin. So. But now they're starting to open up farms in New Zealand in like what they consider like non-traditional regions for New Zealand, which is interesting. Um, if you've never been down there, I know a lot of people have not been there. I'm very, very fucking fortunate to have been there. Um, it's one of the most magical countries in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but it takes like 18 days and two hours to get there, it takes, right? <laughs> it takes a while to get there, especially when you live on the East Coast. Another question, but it's not from me. It's from Ally Steve. Um, for those of you who don't know... Ally Steve works with us. He is our director slash producer. Steve, Steve, Steve. Direct Steve, 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 Steve. Uh, of of this pod. And he's been super supportive and he's just a great person all around. But he wanted to ask a question. He yeah. sent it over. Um, via text. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Via That's text. So and he said, <laughs> I wanted to ask everyone what hop they think they are. So this is a question oh, from no, Ally Steve. Steve. I've actually answered this question recently. Okay, oh. give it to us. I want to hear it. Oh. Um, if I were a hop, I would be Chinook. Um, Chinook is very versatile, uh, kind of sticky and resinous when it wants to be, um, but also fruity and sweet when you pick it right. Oh. And if you look so at cute. the cone itself, it's like kind of long and twisted. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> I don't see that when I look at you. That's funny. You haven't known uh, me long enough. Yeah. <laughs> I totally see it. Um, Ayana, what hop do you think you are? I love this question. Oh, God. Um, oof. I, I want to say, okay, I guess I, I feel like I want to say Columbus Cryo just because I fucking like it so much. But that's like not that's like not the question. It's more like I wish that I could just put Columbus Cryo and everything. Um, I think I think I'm leaning towards El Dorado. Um, I don't know. I think that it's a kind of like weird hop. I think that some people don't know like how to use it well, but then it like can play really well with others in the right context and delivers a very specific aroma. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh Sydney. If you don't know yet, you can think about it because I know what I Oh am. yeah, skip me. Okay. <laughs> if I if I was a hop <laughs> if I was a hop, um I think I'd be Idaho 7 because I'm Oof. zesty, I'm sweet. Either you love me or you hate me. Ooh, girl. <laughs> um, I feel that. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that's what I'd be. I'd yeah. be Idaho 7. I could either be polarizing or you could love me. Mm. 
I have to say that Idaho Seven is one of my. I like it hot, so I don't. I, That's right. I've had some. I've had some really bad experiences with Idaho. There seven. you go. That's why I'm Idaho Seven. I like Idaho Seven. I love it. That's maybe that's why you love me. <laughs> um, I would probably say that I'm um, Rowaka. <laughs> wow. For many wow. reasons. Uh, one, I sometimes oh, feel so awkward in a space that like I have to like always be talking all the time, and I think that's like my ADHD. So like even in a room, I'm just like I, I hate awkward silences. So I feel like I always have to be talking about something. Like I always have to make sure that there's a conversation going. So I have to be like the center of attention mm. where it's like, I don't want this to die down. I don't want there to be any awkward silences and I get nervous. So I just keep going. And then um, <laughs> in terms of a long shelf life, I feel that I can just keep going as long as there's like wine involved and there's just like no end in sight because I'm just, I feel like I'm um, imploding slowly where it's like, if, if this, thing just dies down at all. Like, I feel like I'm going to die on the inside to keep going and keep being, um, entertaining. Oh my God. You know, what's really funny. Can I say something? Uh, Andre, uh, -huh. uh he describes Rewaka as peaches and gasoline. Jesus. Yep. And that I, sounds yeah, about right. Yeah. And that's such a good way to explain it. Cause it's like, it does have peach, but yeah. 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 So I, I hear you. Yeah. I, and I think about that when you're explaining that and I'm like peaches and gasoline. Yeah. That's I also I love the smell of gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that yeah. so much. So that's LA. Yeah. That's Sydney, so you're up. What um, up are you? Well, first I want to say that everyone else described themselves as their hops by like describing the hop character and then it's sort of like being them. But Breeze, you like described yourself, but then it's like really cute to think about Rawaka being like, I don't like awkward silence. <laughs> or Rawaka being like, I have ADHD. <laughs> being like, oh no, everybody's being too quiet. That's exactly so that's really cute. So you've put a lot onto Rawaka, and I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank um, you. I feel like what I, my instinct, and also like what I think is true at this point in time is that. Because I am baby in beer industry, I feel connected to Citra because it's like so many people's gateway and it's the gateway that I give people to get into IPAs and stuff. But I think it is I, like, okay, because I don't think of myself as basic, <laughs> but I think of Citra as very like a like basic. <laughs> but I think like at this point, what I have is like, a basic understanding that is growing. And I think Citra is a really good way to like be introduced to beer. And so I'm introductory. Aww. I love that. Okay, good. I made it work. Cause I was like, I don't know, like Citra is no. just like basic, but I'm not, I'm more interesting than that. I swear. Alex, my love, you are amazing. And I just, as always, I look up to you. You are my guiding light Same. and I don't know what I would do without you. So just please don't leave me. I will. Um, I'll see you in November. I know. I can't <laughs> wait. I see. I can't wait to see you in November. Um, <laughs> Thank you for chatting everything hops. That yeah. Was awesome. This was awesome. Thanks, Honestly, we could do this for like three days straight, girl. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being part Thank of you. this pod. I love you so much. Never leave I love me. You too. I love you so much. I love you too. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you soon. Yeah, I'll see all of you in November. Better, I better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll be here okay, for cool. sure.
Okay, bye. love you, babe. Thank you. Bye. bye. bye.